Hello and welcome to Tips with AP, episode 1st May 2020, a weekly show where we share tips and tricks on how to improve your social media. Tips with AP is brought to you by Butcher Palace Marketing, rehumanizing your marketing experience. Weekly Tipsy. This week's Weekly Tipsy, four types of events that can go virtual. The pandemic has cancelled all events worldwide. As long as we know, we don't have global access, as long as we don't have any global access to vaccines and cures, they won't be coming ta- back anytime soon. There are so many event companies at the end of their lifelines now, not knowing what their futures may be. For those who want to keep fighting and adapt during these trying times, there are some ideas that could get your creative juices flowing again. The following are some events that we think can be virtualized. Even if yours do not immediately fall under any of them, you possibly can get some ideas out of them. So um, I am... I used to run quite a number of events on a monthly basis, um, running a business council, right? So we used to do a lot of business events, golf tournaments and things like that. So I'm not a super uh, professional when it comes to organizing events, but I do know a little bit here and there on how the, how the, the mechanics work. So here are my four tips, four ideas, um, and we'll see if it works for you. Number one, conventions and fairs. These types of events traditionally require us to go to a physical place to visit all participating vendors, right? So you have uh, kind of like a hall. Then you have all the vendors with their own little booths. It runs through the weekend and people will go in and window shop or they will obtain special pricing deals or they will get counseling or, or consultation, right? E-commerce sites like Lazada and Shopee have already been running special sales like these for actually a very long time, for, for a couple of years already been doing this. And it's kind of like a little bit of, kind of like a virtual convention or fair. Uh, it, imagine a Mata fair where you have to, a Mata fair is a, is a traveling fair that runs throughout, let's say, one weekend or two weekends, where traditionally you have all the vendors which are tour operators agencies who get booths and they would provide special prices throughout the weekend but then it actually evolved into a virtual thing where anybody who wants to participate in that weekend who do not want a booth at that site they would actually run a sale anyway and you we got to the we became used to shopping during those times and Lazada and Shopee started doing that as well. They have like special sales on a monthly basis. And what they do is um, they get participating sellers who would give a certain discount on all the things they sell. And because of that, uh, you know, everybody would go out and they would, they would shortlist the items and they would buy it during that weekend. Uh, certain conventions and fairs are not as easy to work with as just, you know, buying something like toilet paper. There are ways to go around this to actually virtualize something that traditionally is a very physical thing, right? Uh, the problem with Lazada and Shopee also is that they usually get customers to visit their virtual convention on their sites, which provides more control on the information that gets disseminated. This could some this could be something quite difficult to handle as an events company because we are usually on a case by case or a very ad hoc. Uh, basis it is expensive uh, to come up with big apps and uh, platforms like this especially when we are already cash strapped but what if we can collaborate and leverage off vendors who already have their own websites 
Okay, here's an idea of how it work. <clears throat> Let's say we're planning a wedding or an education fair. Let's just take these two, right? On our end, we will create a special landing page that showcase our fair's overall theme. So this is like a special special page like uh, nameofevent.com, right? And this will lead to a list of all participating vendors. You have a kind of like a grid of cards going down with images, beautiful images, description uh, of the vendor all below it. And visitors can actually filter by categories as well. Uh, what type of weddings or what type of educations, uh, what are locations, what kind of uh, uh, level of education that they're looking for. <clears throat> so then a visitor will actually click a card and it will lead to the they will lead the visitors to an external landing page on the vendor's website. So the vendor, which is let's say if we let's say let's take education fair, right? Sunway University. They click it on your site, they click the grid on your site, they will go to a special landing page on Sunway University's site whereby they talk about that specific thing that is going on during that weekend, during the convention weekend. It should probably preferably have some, uh, have, you should probably have some sort of control over how that landing site looks like so that all landing sites look consistent. Every like Sunway, Taylor's, Inti, everyone looks consistent and they provide the same kind of information. And they should also, uh, you should also get them to station live chat consultants during that weekend to always be available for a quick video call or a text chat. Uh, this actually can be uh, spe specifically useful for education fairs. If they are running a wedding fair, for example, um, this is what they can do is uh, they, they still also can do the, the live chats, but maybe the live chats can lead to uh, portfolios, uh, videos of, of, um, of dresses and gowns and packages that they can do. Uh, but the, the back and forth needs to be in such a way that they will provide all the information they need during that weekend. It's not just like I drop a chat and someone else comes back to me 12 hours later kind of thing. It has to be live. That is what makes the event, uh, makes any convention and fair so important because it is the kind of thing where I get to get information there and then itself. So that value needs to stay. So how do we track? We can actually streamline a tracker to monitor all traffic that flows through your website uh, and to all participating vendors' websites as well. Uh, heat mapping services like Hotjar can show you where visitors spend most of their time on the landing pages, where are the hottest areas, where are the coldest areas, and then, you know, how far they go. So with all these traffic flows and information, you can actually tell your vendors uh, how many people are going to these places, where do they actually go to, why are they not converting, and why are they converting, um, and what needs to be fixed uh, along the way. You can actually do this on a daily basis to, to improve in it. How do you monetize? There are actually a few ways to go about it. You can either choose to go one or go for all of it. The traditional way would be to charge your vendors for participation fee. Uh, this could cover the cost of creating a landing page and uh, so all your vendors can have a consistent visual outlook. Kind of like a rental spot for a booth, right? A virtual booth. Another way you can do or go about is to actually pitch to sponsors. You potentially be bringing a high, uh, uh, bringing in a lot of visitors to all the websites, and this will generate a lot of visibility. 
set up advertising banners around the sites to sell those slots to advertisers and sponsors. So ideally, we would prefer not to fill websites with ads and banner logos, uh, branded logos. But since it's going to be our first time, vendors would not be too confident either. So which means that you cannot charge them this much. You may need to charge them less to get them to just come in and see how things like. But if your cost is still there, you may need to flow the other half of your, your uh, get the other half of your profits from ads and sponsors. Um, you will profit less from each side, but at least you're balancing things out and um, you're not asking too much from either side. So this is something that you can consider. Number two is sporting events. This could get a little controversial as many sporting enthusiasts may not agree with the suggestion I'm about to give, but let's just put all this traditionalism and, uh, and, 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 and this all culturalism thing aside, we assume that we are just an events company and our focus is to run events that entertain people, right? We entertain people and we want to raise some funds to keep ourselves afloat during these times. Once this thing is done, you can go back to doing whatever you do uh, best, right? Esports is the fastest growing form of entertainment in the world in the past few years. And these estimates came before early 2020s. Now, esports is becoming more and more of a phenomenon, mainly because the physical counterparts aren't being played at all. How it works is, <clears throat> this is what I have in mind. An online live sporting event usually requires a lot of bandwidth. So you may want to check with your, uh, if your neck of the woods can support um, the internet bandwidth that you're, you are demanding. Even if some places cannot, they can still always enjoy a good replay of highlights or highlights because, you know, I, I usually watch football for the highlights because I'm too lazy to sit the entire 90 minutes for it. We could create a localized version of a world-famous esports tournament like CSGO, Overwatch, or Fortnite. So these are for the younger crowd, right? Uh, they do a lot of all this uh, gun, shoot, bang, bang kind of stuff. But we could also maintain a traditional sense of, sp of sporting like football, basketball, cricket, or Formula 1 racing, or, or uh, MotoGP as well. So there are games, there are solid games out there and people with full rig setups and they race this on a regular basis. And if you can create a, a localized version of these tournaments, it would be something that you could start off with, right? You can collaborate with eSports experts in a local area. I'm sure they are. They have experience in running the show and will probably know more participants than you do. So you can actually leverage on their knowledge and their, their connection to get people to join the tournaments. But instead, you market it like any other esports tournament. No, wait, you market it like any other actual sports tournament. So don't market it like a small time esports kind of thing, like build it and they will come. Market it like it's the biggest event of the year, right? Like how you usually market your events, your offline events, because you are good at that and you know how to do this better than probably the esports tournament organizers can do it. And because athletes don't need to physically recover and they don't, there isn't any logistic issues that need to work out. Like for example, they don't need to travel from one place to another and bring like container loads of cars and, and parts and everything from one place to another. The tournaments can actually run with shorter gaps. An entire season that usually takes a year can be done within a month. 
Imagine that. <laughs> if you're still unsure, well, because this could be a very big, big, uh, big scale thing for you. If you're still unsure of all these things, think about this. You can actually consider running a small tournament. Uh, start with an invitation first. Get like maybe five to ten participants to come in. Run a round robin. Do I call round robin? <clears throat> yeah, you just run a round robin uh, or a or a death match kind of thing, right? Fill out all the moving parts. Uh, fill out the people that you're uh, you're going to be working with to see whether you can work with them or not. Keep it small. Um, and if everything is good, you see all the things work and you like it, you can move on to a bigger scale one on the next uh, the next round. So how do you monetize? At an esports event from the beginning, it's already a branded event, right? Because games and console owners will actually be very excited to take part. Depending on the scale, they would actually want to be the title sponsors as well. Uh, and they would be very happy to discuss sponsorship deals at the very least. Athletes um, are also sponsored most of the time. And they will be also very happy to talk shop with you. You could get a broadband service provider to sponsor the bandwidth during the entire tournament. All they need to do is just to put their name in there. You don't have to pay for the bandwidth. So just to pull all these things together, you know, get it um, sorted out. At the end of the day, sponsors care about exposure. So that's what is important to them. And your goal is to get as many viewers as possible during these events. Use your experience to market it like any other traditional sporting event. Just because it's online doesn't mean it deserves any less marketing budget. So imagine this. If you are spending 100000 per event on offline events, like for example, uh, just a bloody billboard itself can cost you a north of five 600000 right? Imagine if you put five 600000 onto a Facebook ad campaign. That would be so much more effective. And now that nobody's outside driving all the time, you have no excuse, right, to, to, put, to put ads out there. You need to put ads online. So transfer the marketing budget don't skimp on it. Treat it like any other uh, 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 traditional marketing uh, exercise and transfer all this back into the online and you can do so much better at it. You could also actually charge um, certain athletes a nominal processing fee to register for your event, which could actually help offset a little bit of your operational cost. Maybe like, let's say, 50 bucks per, per, um, per registration. Um, that is up to you. It's, it's just a suggestion. The third one is actually quite interesting and quite relevant to this time of the month, which is Food Fest. Um, the F&B industry is being hit very hard, um, harder than any other industries during these tough times. I would say they are hit harder than the aviation because aviation are big wigs. F&B are usually very, very small players, most of them. And because they're small players, they don't have the capacity to hold for a long time. And uh, they're in dire need of help. So on top of that, the search in online transaction is getting e-wallets riled up over, you know, fighting over who wants to be the top spot. They've always been fighting over who wants to be the top spot for the past year and a half since early 2019 or maybe late uh, 2018. But right now, they are really, really ramping up because usage of online transaction has been going up so much. And on top of that, Ramadan is here. So all these all these things that I just said actually provides the perfect opportunity for a virtual food fest. How it works? You can either work with a food delivery platform or create your own app or e-commerce platform. The upside of having an app is 
it's it has better user experience. The downside is that it takes it takes longer to build and it's a lot more expensive as well. Uh, once that's set up, contact all micro and small FMB businesses owners to participate. I'm sure they will be excited to participate, but you need to give them a kind of system that is very easy for both them to use and also the buyers to use as well. Uh, in our experiences, there has been some, I think Maybank has launched one with the local something, which is very difficult to work because it's Maybank and they didn't market it in such a way that it makes it easy for everyone to use. So it actually feels very disconnected. It's like we have it and we know you want it, so we don't need to market it kind of thing. Uh, so I, I don't think that's working very well. Uh, you want to set it up in such a way that it, even people who don't use a certain, who are not loyal to a certain bank, who don't use a certain bank, can also participate in this activity as well. So it is harder if you connect with a bank. It is easier if you connect with an app that can just easily for uh, they can easily top up their cash and buy something from like Touch and Go e wallet or Grab or um, Fave. That makes it a lot easier. Um, so that's it. Give them a give all the business owners a single page on your website. So each of them will have one page or an app they, where they can showcase all the food they want to sell. They just tick, 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 add it to your cart and then put it in, right? Work with either a bank or an e-wallet provider to set up payment accounts so buyers don't have to deal with cash transaction. We don't do cash transactions now. Um, so this is very important. Then you need to also set up a delivery network to send all the food around as well. The best people to work with at this point when you look at it is actually Grab because they have the, all the infrastructure you need in one app, but they are also very expensive. They take 20 to 20 to 30% out of a cut of every transaction and that leaves the F&B people with so little and if you want to take another cut, then that's going to be a different story altogether. Unless you can talk to them and say, you know what, let's set a deal for this, this food fest and grab, you guys take less. And then, you know, so that we share the cost or something like that. So this, which is, we spills up to a little bit of how to monetize, right? You can either charge a monthly flat fee to all operators, kind of like a virtual rental. Or you can charge a percentage for all transactions. Keep in mind that if you want to work with Grab or Food Panda, like I said, right, these companies are already charging an arm and a leg, so you can't get much out of the operators. Uh, where, but where you mark, where you lack in margin, you make up for in infrastructure. So it really is up to what you want to do. You want to build the infrastructure, um, put a cost there for that, and then make it back up, uh, or you want to just go with whatever that is already there and then leverage off of them. That's up to you. <clears throat> Number four is trainings. During times of looming recession, there is one industry that thrives, online education. This is because people are afraid of losing their current jobs and start educating themselves on new things that could land them new jobs, job opportunities elsewhere. As an industry expert, you always have something to teach someone. What you have to share is usually worth more than any industry guru can share because they don't have real world experiences and you do these gurus would just like uh, sit down talk about theories and they can rave on like on theories like like you know they live by it but they don't because they have no experience doing anything with it but you do 
let's say if you have either run either or one of the three three events up top, right? You've done it successfully. You can now share your point of view. You can share your experiences. Don't see it as a way of you giving away your secrets and potentially creating more competitors. Instead, see it as a way to generate sustainability with your expertise. Think about it like this. You always need to be providing services in order to earn money. If if you need if you want to do one of the three above, you need to always be doing it in order to earn money. And running events is very tiresome. You know that, right? We all know that. But with training, you set up a training service, uh, uh, a training course and a training system. They generate sustainability by itself. Singularly, each person who goes and buys your training course that may not pay a lot of money, but we are looking at volume. The scale is there. And you can continue to keep making money even though you're not doing it actively, just passively. You can run events on the side and if events are not working, the trainings will work for you. So how it works is essentially like this. Start by drafting a full course on a topic that you think is your specialty. I think I want to try doing this, but uh, let me just mull on it a little bit more first. Um uh, <laughs> Being generic helps in bringing more beginner clients, but it also opens you up to a lot more competitors. I I understand this because I've had experience uh, going between being everything for everyone and very generic or trying to get my niche. And I understand that it is harder to sell with a niche because not as many people want, but people who really want it you don't have as many competitors for it. So and that to me is more valuable and it makes you an industry leader as well. So that is important. Then create slides and animations if possible as visual aids for your course. Run through the entire course a few times while being recorded so you can pick up the best parts. Cut them into 15 minute chunks while providing homeworks after each part. Courses can be uploaded into sites like Teachable where they can take a well, they actually take a small fee for providing very competent online course platforms. In the future, you can actually consider setting up your very own website to host all these courses, so you don't have to you don't have to pay Teachable something, and your customers won't be distracted by competitors as well. The, the, the downside of these sites like Teachable is that um, they want to show people as many. Um, courses as possible and these are all your competitors and they are they are distractions because while they're looking for your course they may go for someone else's course but for the sake of validating the course and validating the 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 process and the system and this 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 theory that experimenting for us for for the sake of validation of this business model go with teachable first if you know that it's valid that it works pull it out start your own. Finally, provide a 15-minute long preview showcasing the gist of your entire course. You can either do that live or share a pre-recorded video. Both have their own pros and cons. Live stream usually rely a lot on the performance of the website and in my experience, most of the time it's quite bad. They can't see you, they can't hear you. <coughs> but the good, the good thing about it is that you can get live feedback whereas pre-recorded ones does not allow for live feedback. So experiment on either one, see which one works and go with it. How to monetize? The best way would be to sell the entire course for a flat fee. If you manage to obtain sponsorship partners uh, for the course, giving out courses out for free wouldn't be advisable as well because uh, based on consumer behaviors, right? people have the, the, the tendency to pay more attention to content if they pay for it. 
So if they don't pay for it, no matter how valuable it is, they don't see it as valuable. So that that is a problem. Right, so that's all for this week's Weekly Tipsy. Uh, let me just sum it up for you. It's a long one, but four types of events that can go virtual. Number one, conventions and fairs. Number two, sporting events. Number three, food fests. Number four, trainings. Um, go through it again. And seriously, if you find any value and you see that this has gotten, has given you any uh, ideas to start your own virtual events, hit me up. I don't want any partnership or anything. I just want to be part of the process. I want to learn from you how it's done and uh, maybe gain something that I can share it with all the other listeners. Not many listeners anyway, but yeah. All right, so this <laughs> Tips MVP podcast is a part of Social Media Weekly. It is available, for, it's available on Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and more. Our full, video, our full videos are available on YouTube and we post bits and clips on Instagram and Facebook. This is Tips MVP episode 1st May 2020. My name is Sean. Stay safe. Bye-bye.